This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Support for this show comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mini steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti gelato and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest, and they're also the judge. But Talenti, the deliciousness and the details, it's incredible stuff. Go out and try it. Now, here's the show. Yo, yo, yo. It's Ray Harkins, and you're listening to 100 Words or Less. Yo, 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 like I'm, you know, some uh, hip-hop DJ or something like that. No, no, I'm not. I don't know why I decided to say that. I just like to say yo sometimes. But what you are here for is you are here for a insightful and interesting discussion with people in and around independent music, whether they're creating it, playing in bands, or whether they're on the periphery of this whole music industry, but have been impacted by this whole music scene in a major, major, major way. And that is exactly who this person is, a person that's been impacted by the independent music scene and has taken a lot of principles and ideals that he's learned from it and, uh, you know, does it with uh, audio now from a podcasting perspective. My guest is Aaron Lammer. He is the host of a podcast called Longform, and he also is the host of a podcast called Stoner. And uh, while Stoner, it's maybe, I don't know, six or seven episodes into it, I've listened to a couple. And for me, you know, subject matter isn't for me because I don't do drugs. I'm not interested in weed because I myself am of the straight edge variety. But uh, the content and the way I hate to use the word content, sorry, I, I will drop that word to my best of my ability. But the interviews and the discussions that he has on that show are incredible. And I've been a fan of long form, which is basically a behind-the-scenes look at the world of journalism, what people go through um, in regards to, you know, getting stories and writing and freelancing, and it's just, it's incredible conversation. So I highly urge you to check out both of those shows. And uh, Aaron also plays in a band called Francis and the Lights, and he uh, is just a, a cool dude. He was just ready to hang out and chat, and that's exactly what we did. It's definitely a different conversation than what I typically have on this show, and I'm finding that more and more often, and it's fun because... I like it when it goes uh, to exciting and different places that, uh, you know, because the show has almost existed for five years now. So I need to be going into different corners and, uh, you know, maybe asking different questions and that sort of stuff. So anyways, let's get to some business and then we will dive into our conversation with Aaron. First of all, Rise Against, I've been bugging you and I will continue to bug you until this record is out. Wolves, it's an incredible new record from Rise Against, comes out. June 9th, if I'm not mistaken, June 7th, whatever, early June, we'll say. (laughs) But the biggest thing that you need to do is pre-order the record, riseagainstshop.com, and you'll be able to see a ton of different options, cool colors of vinyl, great shirts, t-shirts, sweatshirts, long sleeves, whatever it is that you are looking for, they have. And Rise Against, I mean, if you're not listening to them, you're doing something wrong. They're probably one of the most important independent rock slash punk bands that exist right now just because, you know, they stand for something and they have been very consistent in their message for many, many years and are just real down human beings. I worked with them a lot when I did stuff with PETA 2 and they're just uh, the realest of the real dudes. So, and also they're on tour with Thrice and Deftones this summer. You can't get a better ticket than that. So please riseagainstshop.com prior to the record wolves it's awesome and you also need to be using symbol fm 
So symbol.fm, it's an unbelievable app that makes it super easy for you to share music across, you know, whatever social network platform you have. But the beautiful thing about it is that it introduces you to new music. So, you know, you start to follow people and you start to see what music they're posting. And it's just a, uh, it's a very, very easy way for you to get keyed into new bands, new records, or maybe revisiting an old record that you forgot about. And uh, frankly, that happened for me recently when I was like, oh, that's right. Slow Dive put out a new record. I saw someone post it and then I was like, I need to listen to that. And I'm like, holy crap, this new Slow Dive is amazing. But please follow me on symbol.fm at X Purpose X. You'll be able to find me on there and we can trade music that way. I've been, uh, you know, dialoguing with a few of you on there and that's uh, that's awesome. So please try it out. You'll be able to find some cool stuff on there and uh, keep your ears to the ground because I'll be interviewing one of the uh, the originators of Symbol in the near future. And the last thing that I want to tell you about is a awesome, awesome podcast done by two previous guests of this very show, Mike Mowry, who is a manager at Outer Loop Management, and Rob Blasco, who is the bass player for Ozzy Osbourne, also plays in Zach Sabbath, and they decided to team up and do a total behind peek behind the curtain of the music industry and really, really get granular with this stuff. They're... They're not shy to share details, and that is an awesome thing. So the podcast is called Manage Metal. So please dive into any podcast-catching app you may have, and you will be able to find that beautiful podcast. I can't recommend it enough. It's uh, it's a really, really fun look at uh, you know what managers do, um, you know what record labels do. Like It breaks it all down in a very uh, easy-to-understand and coherent way. And plus, the shows are 30 minutes or shorter. That is a very, very distinct advantage that I know new shows have because, frankly, there's so many podcasts out there and there's not enough time to listen to them. So listen to this one, though. 30 minutes in, out, boom, you're done, and you're smarter because of it. So there we go. And I, I got to tease this. A little bit later, I'm going to play some new music for you from a very, very exciting band called Kamikaze Girls, which I'll you'll hear in the, the interview. So just look forward to that. But anyways, like I said, Aaron is a interesting dude. He uh, basically responded to me immediately on Twitter, which I found very, very heartening. I was like, hey, thanks for wanting to talk about music. And I'm always I guess I'm always surprised when people say yes to being interviewed on this show, even though, you know, the show's uh, relatively popular and it's a quantifiable commodity now where people don't feel like they're, you know, wasting time by hanging out with me on the on these microphones. But um, yeah, anyways, uh, I just want to dive into that. You know, I was going to give some personal updates, but no, things are uh, going pretty well. My wife's doing all right. And um, yeah, I don't I don't need to give you too more too many more details about that. But uh, summer's coming and uh, fun times are ahead. So let's let's do it. Right. Aaron Lammer on the podcast. Here it is. Let's go. So, like Francis and the Lights was always a band that was in my um, ecosystem, and the fact that you know I, I knew who you guys were. Um, I'd never seen you live, but you know y- you existed in the same way that um, you know many other bands exist in ner- music nerds' lives, like you and I. Um, but it was it was gunking up your iTunes forever. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yeah, hey, good records, but like you know, I never was like a devotee, so to speak. But um, once I dove into long form, uh, gosh, it was maybe like two and a half years or so ago, three years ago. Um, 
I I was stoked because I was like, oh, that's the dude that Francis and the Lights. Like, I, I like the music and podcast connection. I'm sure sitting where you're at, you see the common connections of, you know, starting bands and playing in bands and playing in front of like 10 to 15 people as the same exact thing as like starting a podcast. Like, do you, have you processed that thought in your own head as far as uh, the similarities between the two? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, um, I'm like a person who's a, attracted to projects, and most of the projects that I'm involved with are not things that I would be able to do on my own. I'm not like a musician uh, in the way that I could really like, you know. I, I work with Francis; so he's like my songwriting partner. I started uh, long form with Max, um, who had more of a background in journalism than I did, and I did a lot of a lot of the web stuff in that context. So. I think I'm attracted to those kind of like creative opportunities um, that, you know, in a small team um, with each person kind of playing different roles. I think that that kind of stuff appeals to me. Yeah, I, I, I see a music or a podcast or they have a lot of similarities just in terms of like being something you kind of like arbitrarily set out to do and you don't know exactly where it's going to go, you know? Right. I just I, I, I find it so fascinating just because it is. Uh, you know, it, it feels in the very same essence as, um, you know, basement shows for, you know, punk, hardcore, indie rock. The same notion is just like, well, I got this idea. I'm not, I don't need to ask permission to put out a podcast. I'm just going to do it. And, and like, who cares if anybody cares about it? And then usually the ones that start like that are the ones that become, um, you know, successful, not in the same notion as like, you know, like, clearly like something like S-Town is not just being like, oh, yeah, we're a, we're a scrappy bunch of, bunch of upstarts. Like they know what they're doing. Sure. But you know, yeah, that 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 correlation is there, and it always intrigues me. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for me, the things that those two things have in common are they're both things that I started, you know, very casually with people who who didn't really have any like previous experience doing doing them. I mean, uh, Francis and the Lights is a band we started when we were uh, eighteen or nineteen years old, writing songs in college. Um, and very, very slow burn, you know, towards where it is now. And, uh, similarly long form was just like a hobby project that Max and I thought of, you know, thought it would be cool to do. It was not something we set off to do as a business. So I do have like a, a kind of a faith in the, like, just do it and see what happens philosophy of, of life and art. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that's rad. Uh, were you born and raised in the East coast or where did you come up? Um, no, I'm from uh, Berkeley, California. Oh, okay. That, I'm, that's figuring the the Francis connection based off that fact. But um. yeah, a lot of the people I work with are people that I was uh, friends with in um, high school. Uh, the guy who does uh, all the Francis and the Lights music videos, uh, Jake Schreier, is like another guy that me and Francis went to high school with. Me and Francis went to elementary school together. Um, a lot of my friends are like a lot of the people we work with. Like a lot of the people, like the people who we're on tour as the band Francis and the lights. The last time we toured with a band where like some of them were people who were like in Francis's high school jazz quartet. So it's a very like small insular group of people. Um, and that's, that, that's really weird. Like that doesn't, it's very strange. Right. <laughs> Cause like, I mean, usually when you, uh, not saying that Francis in the light started in, you know, high school or elementary school, but you know, usually when you have these, friendships at a very tumultuous time in your life uh those are hard to keep together absolutely absolutely and i and i mean i i don't i don't feel like uh they've you know not all of them have lasted you know uh but 
on the other hand, I do feel like it's easier to have like a deep degree of trust when, when you're working with people you have just had a really like long relationship with, you know, um, they kind of like get to fast forward through a lot of the other, the things that are hard about like trusting another person artistically. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it does, uh, and usually when you start creating music around that time, you know, you're terrible at it. Like you've no idea what you're doing and like, you're just trying to piece together like some rudimentary style of like the bands that you liked and trying to ape their, their, uh, <laughs> their influences on you. Um, so it's just, it's cool that you, yeah, been- I still feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a non, I'm a non musician and I really, you know, the band is France, like Francis is, uh, it is his, art you know um it's like a you get to like sort of uh participate in in the making of it you know and and it's not something i have other experience with and it's like it's taken a really long time to to get where we are now but like yeah it's it's pretty fun now because it's like a a language you know yeah exactly there's such a intimate trust between everybody that it's like oh yeah we're we know we know how to handle this thing not like the creation of the music but you know everything else that swirls around it Mm-hmm. The um, so like, what, what was your upbringing like? Like, you know, family structure, brothers and sisters. Um, I have a, a sister who also lives in uh, Brooklyn. Um, you know, Berkeley is like an interesting place to to grow up. Um, my uh, my parents, you know, my father is like a deadhead or was. He's not alive anymore. Um, but uh, you know, I like grew up around a lot of like creative art kind of stuff like it's like a pretty it's a pretty big town for that kind of stuff and it's a pretty cool place i think to grow up and it felt that way it felt like wow this is like this is really where it's at you know um so that was pretty pretty great actually in retrospect right. you, know, you don't really know when you're 15 that you like you where you live is any different than where anyone else lives but yeah it's only once you have a you know wider scope of like oh i see what what a kid in boise idaho experiences differently than i do Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, like when we were growing up there, you know, Green Day had like come out of Berkeley um, and were five or 10 years, you know, really closer probably to like five, maybe, maybe their albums were coming out when I was in like junior high. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't seem that far away. They were only, you know, 18 or 19 years old. We were 13 years old. You know what I mean? Um, not that I actually, not that I was like super into like punk or anything. I wasn't. That's not really like the music I was listening to. But mm-hmm. uh, that was like it was, there was definitely a feeling of like you could like get somewhere, you know, pretty quickly, like out of the high school um, doing music stuff. That's interesting because yeah, I mean, I it sounds like we're around the same age because like you know when Dookie came out in '94, it was one of those things where um, you know I, I would immediately try to um, mimic you know, Trey cool's drum beats, even though I was a horrible drummer, but like that just, but still the notion of looking at those guys, even though they were only, you know, whatever, six or seven years older, it, to me, it felt like a pretty wide gulf, you know, but like, that's cool that you experienced it from the like, Oh yeah, these are guys that are just like kind of down the street, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that like whole punk scene in Berkeley, which I was not in any way a part of, that I kind of like envied it because I don't know, it just seemed like a little like wilder and like cooler than the life I was leading. But, um, you know, it, it went to really young. So like people, there'd be people who are at shows who were like 11 or 12 years old. So even though like the scene, I think was bands that were more 17, 18, 19 years old, like 
the kind of all ages element was very strong. So I, there was definitely kids, even when I was in junior high, that were going to some like pretty wild punk shows. Right. So you 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 put that in stark contrast to what your experience was. So what what was your experience if you were not you know stage diving at punk shows? Um, um, I don't think I was like I wasn't like um, real like like I had my friends you know and we definitely were like trying to like go out and go to some parties and whatnot but we were definitely not like the dudes at the parties you know like um i was also into like i was really into like you know alternative rock then like uh, live 105 was the station you know and i loved like smashing pumpkins uh and uh i loved um i mean i listened to like rem during that that period um so you know i think we like slowly slowly like the scene you know slowly we found like people and, and things to do but like i don't know you're like a 15 year old boy like yeah girls want to go hang out with like 18 year old boys you know <laughs> for sure sure yeah. um and so did did you find yourself uh, i guess immediately attracted to that uh, alternative music scene and when did that you know how did that kind of enter your life <clears throat> I've always like been more of like a fan than like a person in the scene. Uh, I was like real into like, I, I, I was really early to a lot of like music bootlegging, like at a really high, like, uh, you know, before people I knew were bootlegging music. Um, like my dad was a like big, like dead tape trader. So like I would have like these like European import, like live shows, of like smashing pumpkins shows i would like collect i had like a, i had like a pretty huge collection of like burnt or like illegally like imported cds during that period oh yeah that was a huge thing especially when you started talking about like you know uh, import cds and b-sides and how that oh god yeah it, it, i still it's so funny because you know people this sounds like total old man on the porch but like you know I, I, every piece of music is accessible now but like you craved those b-sides from certain bands and then you know often you would get them and be like oh i see why this is like a b-side like it wasn't that good but i still needed it it really uh it's a very different period of fandom for me just because i like the shit i was into like i know just every single radiohead song every b-side everything i could like uh, I could hum almost every radio song from that period. The Radiohead song, I, I just would like buy every import, and I didn't have that many CDs. Uh, nowadays, even albums I really like, I've accidentally listened to them like seven times. Uh, right. It's just kind of crazy for me, like really thinking back on how I used to listen to music then. It was very intense, and it was super like, you could learn so much from it because you don't really learn shit if you listen to a song like three times. Like, I just remember like really like beating albums into the ground and really like still I have like a kind of like weird like if you went back and played pickup basketball you'd kind of remember how like your body moved you know I just like if I hear music like that it's uh, I've never really listened to music with that kind of intensity since then right and you you, you remember every uh, idiosyncratic trait in those records where you're just like oh yeah that that little note that they missed or whatever you know it's so mm-hmm. yeah you, you're, you're so invested in it absolutely <laughs> i mean if I, I could probably like i could probably talk all day about like the like 
those years of my music listening life, I have like a lot more like thoughts about them, honestly, than I do about like music now that I actually like just as much or more. But I, uh, I think I just like the distance and perspective on it, like has made me think like a lot about the music that I was listening to from like maybe when I was like 14 to 18. Mm-hmm. I also, I, guess like- ever, I, I mean, everyone's frozen in like some like weird, like exact, like, musical time corridor right well it's uh, i think the uh, what spotify did some study where it was like i think you know 33 years old is when people stop like, craving and seeking new music just because all they do is go back to the music of you know whatever their early 20s teens whatever whatever period like you're talking about so it i mean if you're a like real i mean if you're a person who's like spends a decent portion of your life like trying to sort of push deeper into like finding obscure music the the depth of the internet now is just like you really like like even if you stop at 33 which i think i it's quite possible i have just pushing back into the 60s and 70s and the like richness of like stuff that's come out of like private press and re-release just like there's just so much amazing shit um it's it's overwhelming like the the not the size of the canon but the like size of the like youtubeable like deep uh, rabbit dive yeah. uh, that's out there now yeah it's what it's definitely wild where i mean there's no no matter how much you think you have explored into one particular genre of music it's like there's always going to be more rat holes that you can dive down and you're just like wow okay never never knew about this band that existed for two years and had a demo and you know did this thing and oh all right that was interesting absolutely and then you get involved with like uh you know you just make a slight leap like to being interested in like 1960s african music and it's like that it's like it's just it's like another like bubble just as big you know uh totally especially with the amount of stuff that's being like kind of digitized and like distributed now i mean if i wasn't doing the things i was doing i find those kind of projects like super fascinating um like what people are doing yeah like the archival recordings and being able to like dig up like i i remember when like nick drake was a huge influence on me i mean not just like i just loved his music and then like they unearthed i think it was last year they unearthed his mom's tapes like you know living room tape recordings and it's just one of those things where it's like you know a a woman on the piano but this was nick drake's mother so like you listen to it just in total rapture of like wow like i can't i can't believe that i'm listening to this this is crazy yeah i mean i i just can sort of end up on a path where you take like those nick drake records and um the guy who produced them is joe boyd you know and joe boyd is like uh he's like the central conduit in that whole scene you know he produced like records by all kinds of people and it's like almost everything he produced is like pretty interesting it's like if you enjoy nick drake's music it's like you're gonna find a lot of music that's pretty interesting and then you look at the like small under 12 release labels that put out a lot of those records because a lot of those records were like you know like street buskers who were like performing their first album and it's like each one of these is these like weird vortex that you can go into and i'm just kind of shocked by how like f- how far i've gone without hitting any kind of a wall right. 
<laughs> totally. You're like, when's this supposed to end? Because like, I feel like I've done a lot of work on this, and I'm nowhere near the the end of it. Absolutely. And uh, and unfortunately, with the fucking sorry state of like iTunes and everything else, there's not really a very good way to like organize that as like a hobby or pursuit right now. Actually, it's just a terrible pain in the ass, and it's like nothing really works, and like you're kind of better off streaming, but streaming isn't really a way to like have like an ongoing archive of something you know because it's gonna come and it's gonna go it's like stuff goes in and out already and yep. youtube is really the most amazing i mean youtube is the most um, like the v- most vast music archive that's ever been created but it's the most like shaky in and out of things existing or not existing on it yeah oh absolutely rights holders go hey wait a minute this can't be up there and you're just like but why like have you done anything with it <laughs> That site Oink was like the probably the best uh, had the best catalog ever I think in in like human music history Um, but it um, you know went the way of many torrent sites Um, I mean I don't I I don't even have like a some sort of like a a politics about like bootlegging or not bootlegging or like piracy or anything but it, it is kind of crazy when like these are like the biggest archives and you know human recorded music and they are like going in and out of uh data fidelity right <laughs> no it's totally true all right let's put a pin in this conversation because i told you that i was going to play some awesome awesome new music and that's exactly what i'm doing so this band is called kamikaze girls and their new record is called seafoam it comes out on a very very awesome independent label over here in the u.s called wiretap records a old friend of mine and he's just a good dude putting out awesome music so the record is called seafoam comes out june 9th here in the u.s on wiretap and then over in the uk an awesome label called big scary monsters you can prove the lp seafoam with pink splatter now right now at wiretaprecords.com but I'm not going to let my my hype machine voice drive you to buy the record. I'm going to let you listen to a song called Berlin. It's awesome. Like I said, you'll you'll just want to pre-order it immediately. So, and they're also playing Fest in October. So, please check out this song and then afterwards go to wiretaprecords.com, pre-order the record because that's what I'm going to do and I think you should do it too. So, here's the song Berlin and then right afterwards we'll dive back into the conversation with Aaron. So, here you go.
as you started to, you know, really explore music and, um, you know, get to develop your own personal identity, you know, when you're in high school and stuff like that, um, what, uh, what instrument were you drawn to first? Like, uh, I, I know you, you've mentioned that you are not a musician, but, um, <laughs> how, like how, how did you start to, I guess, express yourself beyond the fact that, uh, cause I'm guessing that you, you know, as you started to, you know, see REM and see these bands that were, um, you know, playing out live and everything. You, there was, you know, maybe some twitch in your head of like, oh, that'd be cool to, I guess, perform or play in a band or whatever that may mean. You know, I never really thought about it at all until, uh, you know, I've always liked writing and, um, you know, writing, trying to write songs. We started doing that when I was maybe 18 or so. And that was kind of the first thing, musical thing I ever tried. Um, and, and I didn't really progress very much past that for uh, a good decade. Um, and then in the like last few years, I've like become more interested in, uh, you know, being able to use a computer a little bit more effectively to craft ideas. But, um, you know, for the most part, like most of my musical experiences are just sitting in a room with someone like trying to write a song, um, which is like kind of like essentially what everything boils down to in the world. But right. like, um, I don't have any sort of a background of like really composing on my own. I do. I like, I, I record little ideas. Um, and, and I try to, I'm a firm believer in trying to like, remember your things you thought of that are good. So, uh, I do keep like a pretty deep, like catalog of like little jingly ideas. Right, right, right. Um, and so then, uh, you know, because of like you were mentioning your, your family structure and the fact that, you know, your, your father was a deadhead. Um, did you live in an environment in which, uh, I guess your creativity was, uh, you know, fostered or the fact that you could maybe take a path that, you know, your parents hadn't done before. Was that kind of something that, uh, was present in your life? Yeah. I mean, my, my parents are, you know, for the most part, the kind of people who just were kind of like, do whatever you want. Um, so, I didn't really think very much about their expectations about what I was going to do with my life. Um, I don't know if, think I really thought very much about my expectations of what I was going to do with my life. Um, yeah, I just like went to college like everyone else. I'm not like a, I'm not like a grand planner really. I like, uh, have happened into a lot of interesting things and I try to like keep myself, uh, open to them. Um, but my parents have always been pretty cool with it. I mean, my, my, house was like like uh, my father is a person who took music very seriously so that helps uh it helps you believe that there's like a value in taking it seriously you know right right <laughs> yeah definitely um so you did you what were you studying in in college once you started to go down that road uh i studied english at wesleyan but you know i mean i'm i do read a lot and i have i used to work in publishing mm-hmm. uh but um Again, I would not say any of these things were like particularly like choices. Uh, they were kind of just like uh, paths of minimal resistance along the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, and so the because uh, I mean, usually when you get an English degree, you're supposed to be a teacher, right? Isn't that isn't that the traditional path? I, I actually, I did think. Uh, yeah, I did. I had thought of becoming a teacher, and certainly there's some alternate life um, in which I was like doing that in new york now right right um and so then i mean how did you even get like pipe like because it sounds with your experience with francis and lights like that you know kind of boomeranged 
back to you to be like, you know, hey, Aaron, how about you come do, you know, do this thing? Like, when did you get incorporated in that? I mean, the whole, the whole thing's always been pretty amorphous uh, in terms of like who's involved with it. And I've been pretty involved with the songwriting parts and different people have played in the band over the years and really, you know, left their own mark on it. Um, it's always kind of like whatever goes. And it's not always been such a huge part of my life. Um, you know, there was many years. It's not like we have like um, some like... Uh, amazing like future level output like like we've put out like a few eps and like a couple albums i'd say um over like more than a decade so um you know francis does this thing i don't really like do much in terms of the live show usually and some years it's it's more than others um but i think um i just sort of let him do what he wants and i'm glad he like um wants to write songs with me and there's generally like a feeling of uh you know quality winning out which is like if you write something good it'll be on a record and if you don't write something good you will not like get a song on a record you know um i believe pretty strongly in like a system of that that kind sure got it and so i mean i guess a better way of asking that is like when did he first kind of approach you to um you know collaborate in the way that you know the open door policy that he kind of has you know um we've been doing it from from the very first minute like those were the first songs that he ever wrote really uh you know we had only written you know he had maybe written two or three songs before we started writing songs so i haven't never really felt like there was no real moment of like anyone approaching anyone it's kind of like just like starting from the start you know starting from the real basics too really figuring this stuff like i wouldn't say we like approached each other to like collaborate musically i i would like liken it more to like uh we were like trying to learn a foreign language together or something you know <laughs> totally you guys you were we like, didn't know fuck that shit yeah well, of course i mean that that's yeah that's and we weren't and neither of us had like francis wasn't like playing in like all kinds of bands when we were in high school or anything like really like we had you know most of the music he had done before then was actually like covers um like he had done i mean he he had had like played music before but like he hadn't written that much music not not that many people i knew in high school really were writing that much original music interestingly like we knew a lot of people who were involved in music but um i didn't know that many people who were like who who had written songs and writing songs seemed super fucking hard you know right (laughs) well i mean it does it's it definitely does when you start to you know sit down with an idea of doing something that is uh i guess a little more intricate than just like you know a a power chord or whatever you know um and even piecing like two or three of those together that still feels like a pretty daunting challenge when you sit down to do it in the first place absolutely um you know there was like there's people who can play music everywhere you know you go to like every town there's like kids and churches like people just like this is just musicianship everywhere so i feel like in some ways that's easier to learn like what i didn't really know anyone who like knew anything about songwriting you know oh yeah absolutely because i mean and plus you don't really view it as songwriting like you're just kind of putting these disparate you know sometimes disparate pieces together in order to craft like just how to figure out how to get from one part to another part you know you're like oh what are we putting here i don't know but what do you think? <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So, you know, starting from that to like getting a few songs together, 
to Francis starting to like play shows with them. I mean, that's kind of the very early part of the, um, the band's history. Sure. Sure. That's cool. Um, so then when you, uh, when you, I guess started to, you know, play some live shows with that, um, was that a, you know, a weird experience for you? Did you feel comfortable on stage? Like how did that transition take place in your own? Head? I know, I know, I never played in the live band, thankfully. So oh, okay. I never had anything. The only time I've ever played with Francis and the lights live was this year. Uh, and I didn't really, I was just doing basically like playback off of a laptop. Right. Uh, so we, we, um, uh, Francis went on tour opening for chance the rapper this year. Uh, Lara in 2016. And, uh, I came along on that tour and basically, you know, it was like a rap setup. It was like uh, a laptop and a microphone. Um, so, but I would do that from off stage and okay, it's very. It's, it's pretty. Whenever I could avoid um, like people seeing me, I would like avoid it. Sometimes it would be like just like a table on the stage, and I would sort of stand on the very edge of the stage. So, right. I was like, uh, <laughs> October, November this year, right? Would you? <laughs> So if the opportunity were to ever arise to play in front, cause you know, I mean, when I saw that, that, that tour was happening and you were going out on it, it, you know, that's a, that's a large tour. Um, like, did you, did, yeah. you, did you feel even like uncomfortable being like off stage, like doing that? Or was it just like, no, I, I feel okay with it. I mean, to be honest, I like, I mean, I don't think I'm very good at it. like there, there's people who are much better at it. Like I've met people who are real pros at that. I met like the woman who's like Kanye's playback person and like, she knows what she's doing, you know, but it's a pretty, it's not that hard except like it's, you're basically just playing music off a laptop for like 8,000 people, 10,000 people. And it's like, it's just a laptop, you know, it right. could, it could stop. We had like, there was times when like there, there would be crazy bass vibrations and it would like vibrate the, uh, connection out of the, uh, audio interface and it just shut off, you know? And it's like, probably like someone who was more technically minded would have seen that coming, you know, but we were just kind of figuring it out as we went along. Um, and it was a crazy, it was a cool experience. You know, I think we played some really good shows too. Like, um, Francis has like a real, uh, like he's got a real boldness to him to like, want to go up in front of that many people who don't really know who he is, um, without a band or anything, you know, and just kind of, it's just him on the stage, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a very large comfort level that has to at least take place in a one person's head to be like, yeah, I got this like by myself. <laughs> like no yeah. one, no one else really like behind me besides, you know, the the people who are creating the music off stage. Total. Um I think that's the show he's doing. I mean, he's playing Coachella uh this weekend, but our um our manager who's a DJ, a British DJ uh named Seb uh is doing playback for him now, so should be a it should be a it should be a better show than it than it was at the start and uh, it's actually i think the solo shows recently have been like the best shows the band has ever played so i highly recommend if you've ever been thinking about going to see francis and the lights try to go see it like go go see the shows now they're they're really good (laughs) that's awesome um and so it must be an interesting experience kind of uh you know playing a you know a an important part in the the structure and the creation of the music but you know being essentially kind of a, a passenger and just watching um you know crazy things happen whether it's like you know obviously experiencing the you know chance the rapper tour and then you know collaborating with Kanye and all, like all all this you know frankly really really outside of the box stuff that a person that you know comes from 
what you could argue a indie rock scene, even though the music doesn't, you know, really adhere to that. Um, so is it is it interesting for you just to kind of be like, you know, uh, sensibly on the sidelines being like, hey, that's rad. Like, I had a part of that. That's cool. Or is it uh, is it a mixture of different emotions? I mean, I, I don't think we're from the indie. I mean, we're kind of from no scene. Like, I know, we I don't. Know. It's true. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean that in a musical genre either way either. I, I just mean like Francis is like a person who keeps to himself, you know, and I'm uh, like I have other lives. I do like long form. I have like. I, I have other projects and, and other things going on, so I'm not like, I'm definitely not that connected to a scene either. So I think we've been operating in kind of isolation. I mean, Francis definitely knows people, but he really works pretty much on his own. Um, so it has been like a, a pretty crazy sequence of events for him. But um, my ex- my emotion about it has just been like, you know, I'm competitive about this this kind of stuff, and it's like like Kanye said like friends was like his favorite song last year and it's like yeah like fuck yeah like <laughs> I feel really good about that you know and it's like that's what I want to do that's like that's what we set out to do is to try to like write a song that would like impress someone like Kanye West so uh it makes me feel like you know the challenge now is to like top that but um I feel good about it yeah no that's really rad to be able to because I, I think people that do come from you know uh, a independent mindedness when it comes to music that are not you know uh, i mean uh, this is just a very sweeping generalization but it's like you know a person that looks at you know bon jovi or whatever and is like oh man i can't wait to be a rock star and it's like you know that's one that's one mindset and then clearly there's another mindset um and i do find people that fall into that independent mindset you know they are like yourself where you've got you know, multiple irons in the fire, so to speak, whether it's out of sheer function because you need to do five things in order to make a living or whether it's just because you obviously have a a wide variety of interests. Um, so I do think it's, that's kind of in the DNA, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, also things come and go, you know, um, like I try not like, I don't have that much control over like what, you know, we were doing this project for many years in a way where we were, hadn't really released anything and like not that many people even know it exists, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't presume to, that any of these things are going to like take any particular course, which which in, in some ways makes it like nice to have multiple things happening, you know? Yeah, exactly. The uh, the progress can be felt on multiple fronts, and then you know if one stagnates, it's not like you're you know putting all the eggs in one basket. So you know. <laughs> and I like meeting people across. Like I like I find it interesting to meet people who are you know in, in different worlds. So it, it, for me, that's really a reason that I like podcasting. In a way, it's like it's an excuse for me to like meet really interesting people. You know, I'm, I'm very fascinated. Like one of the great pleasures for me of this music stuff has been getting to meet some of the people who do this like music shit at a really high level. You know, like meeting people like Benny Blanco, and it's just like you're just watching someone who's like really good at what they do at work. You know, it's like it's a it's a rare privilege, right? No, totally. I I think it is people that are able to, you know, live in different industries that are all still under the creative umbrella, but you can kind of see the either the common through lines about, you know, people who are creative across multiple industries or just really proficient at one. Um, Because sometimes people, you know, it's it's more comfortable to stick in your lane, you know, and not really 
deviate from that because then it, you know it either opens you up to failure or whatever you know and it's it, people get scared of that <laughs> yeah for sure so when do you um you know when when you and max were starting out long form that was like 2010 right 2011 something like that sounds right yeah <laughs> sounds about right um you know, I, I think every podcast that that started in that general time frame that was based around an interview was heavily influenced by, um, you know, WTF and Mark Marin, because um, you know I, the the kernel of the idea that I've been able to you know follow through in my time listening to your show is you know basically pulling out the ideas of you know how people got started and how people you know kind of do what they do um, from a journalist standpoint. Um, I presume you feel like it's changed over time or do you feel like you still stick relatively close to that, that kernel of an idea? I, I think it, it, it's pretty similar to what, it, what it started as. Um, I mean, I think that like people are always attracted to how people do their jobs and, and how, and, and sort of the story behind the story. Um, but Additionally, like nonfiction writers who are the the bulk of the guests on the show are generally pretty good storytellers and people who have like pretty good, like the story of their life is usually pretty good. Um, so I think we try to like sort of tap into that however we can. And, you know, it's a little different with each person. And we're starting to also have on like we had um, uh, the guy who did S-Town was on. We had um, uh, Rishi from... Um, song exploder on you know i'd like to i'd like it to be as broad as possible in its definition of like what kind of a a non-fiction storyteller could be featured sure well it's probably to your point of what you were mentioning earlier the fact that you know you don't have a journalist background but people immediately probably assume you do just because you're you know you're attached to this journalist project um Absolutely. And that speaks to a little bit of the state of the internet right now where it's like, what is, is this a wet, like, what is it, a newspaper? Is this a website? Like the skills and worlds of like media are, are this weird blend of like old journalism, but also now sort of some of the stuff that's happening in Silicon Valley. And I don't know, it's a strange, it's a strange place. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, once you've opened up everybody to having their own publishing platform, you know, technically everybody's a journalist. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, we live in like, there's like Peter Thiel is suing Gawker out of existence. Uh, you know, Trump's primary focus is the media itself. Uh, it's just like strange times. Like, (laughs) right. Uh, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't have some like editorial comment about it particularly, but you, it's like uh strange storm of brewing up there, right. you know, <laughs> totally. Were, were you ever attracted to, uh, I guess music journalism at all or like, you know, music reviews and that sort of stuff just because uh, you, <clears throat> yeah, I'm like, I've, I've, I've been through it all. Like I, I was like, I'm like a, like a not now like there's people on you know internet who are infinitely like more obsessive than i am but like the younger version of myself i like pretty much like try to get everything i like could i like read all the magazines like early on the internet like was super deep on like downloading like rapid share links of like compilation like i I just like really went kind of crazy trying to like fill my brain with that kind of stuff uh, so yes, absolutely. A lot of music writing. 
but not like not, and i don't mean like i was reading like lester bangs i mean like i was like reading like you know like melody maker as a teenager and like shitty like tabloidy british music magazines right right did you did you ever want to do that yourself not really i don't i don't i have kind of like more of like a fan's impulse than a critic's impulse i think um i don't really like i don't have like a lot of interesting like uh critical views about music i'm kind of more of like a hoarder and a like overeater right so yeah you're you feel comfortable when you have like <clears throat> you mentioned every single song that the band has ever like publicly put out that's like your, Honestly, your space if you look at the like music journalism that i've like spent the like most time with it's like people who've written like pretty like definitive histories that like are themselves like a gateway to like finding like recordings that are like mentioned inside books that's like the kind of music stuff i've really like gravitated the most to right so you need to work at a label like the numero group or something like that where you you could just be the artist (laughs) I love I love Numero Group. I like that stuff. How they find some of those collections is like, it's incredible. Like, mm-hmm. there's incredible shit happening. Right. I, I just love it too because not only is it so exhaustive and you know combing, uh, you know the deep deep corners of, of music, but you look at it. If I fl- flip my head and look at it just from a business perspective, it's like the the care that they put into it to sell 500 copies of this particular release is is amazing because you know whatever they charge a premium for it and those people that care about it are going to buy it and then everyone's satisfied and everyone walks away being like cool that worked we didn't lose a ton of money and uh these people are stoked cool absolutely i mean it's creating it's putting at least some packaging around what is like mostly just a like wilderness and and the wilderness itself has its appeals um, I don't know that I would have been as into some of that stuff if it wasn't kind of like archaeological and a little bit the like Wild West in terms of like, I'm not talking about now, but I'm talking about like kind of the very first generation of like music uh, exchanging. Um, but, you know, some of that stuff is like, some of that stuff is the music I listened to the most during that period. Um it's it's easy to for, forget how hard it was to find music that you can just get on Spotify now. Um, right. You know, to have something like a like the, like a completest like can kind of collection like then was like a massive labor. You know, like burning like fifteen CDs. You know, uh, pretty like pretty hard to get something like that together. Yeah, absolutely and, and i didn't like I, I would always be like oh i've heard of that but i've like i don't have like i have like one of those cds you know like it, i just I, like you know how to get it right it's your it's your white whale <laughs> yeah i mean and i lived in a town that had one of the like you know amoeba records is one of the like great record stores too um and it was a great source of vinyl during that period um which was still like very relatively cheap you know in in the early, like the late 90s vinyl prices were like rare records were like twenty dollars you know there was like a real like dip before the internet um kind of i think reinflated prices a bit with ebay and whatnot oh yeah absolutely it it definitely i mean once once the vinyl boom hit you know whatever (coughs) seven eight years ago you know labels felt like they could charge whatever they wanted to just based off of this and um yeah now now you're gonna see the snake eating its own tail the next like you know three to five years where people are gonna be like wait a minute i don't need to pay this much for this 
<laughs> and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like wait oh uh, slow slow your roll <laughs> i mean i have like i'm kind of loath to predict anything about the course now because like i would have been a person like i was very like heavily interested in like digital reading we were making like apps and i was like man like ebooks someone's gonna come out with the like most like forward-thinking books blah blah blah. and it's like eh. and then everything just kind of like waffled back to like eh, books are probably better like some people are reading on e-readers some aren't like it's never like the share is going down now not up like i just don't uh i can't I can't really see very far into the future with this stuff anymore, uh, with the formats and, and especially in music. I'm just kind of like, it doesn't feel like it's in a great state now, but I don't, I don't really know what's next. <laughs> no, it's definitely true. I mean, the, uh, I guess I always look at it from the format perspective of, uh, you know, vinyl once that became a thing or not, that became a thing again to where you're starting to see the, you know, over commodification of you know pressing vinyl for like I, I was just looking at this morning the record store day list which I don't know if you're familiar with that the, the holiday and yep. record yeah so anyways I was looking down the list and I was like oh wow I didn't think that we really needed uh, the Space Jam soundtrack on vinyl but apparently <laughs> apparently we do and so I think yeah. I think you look at those canary in the coal mines and you're just like wait a minute like this is really you're just you're just like you're picking up every master you have the rights for and are just like oh let's let's toss it on vinyl we're cool and we'll charge 30 bucks for it the the alternate way of seeing that that i kind of see it as is like like you know there's like manufacturers that are basically just like printing things on demand like you know like cheap t-shirt like slogan t-shirts and it's just like well if like 500 people order this like we ship them you know it's like i almost feel like right now with like vinyl we're basically just like seeing like what the minimum threshold like i saw people were like we were releasing like like every nes games soundtrack on vinyl and it's like wow that there have to there has to be a guaranteed like 500 people sell like they know at this point like what they can sell it's pretty wild no it's 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 true i i i've definitely fallen into the category where i have some uh, some sega genesis video games on soundtrack like did i ever think i needed this shinobi soundtrack on vinyl well <laughs> apparently i did because i ordered it and it's awesome but uh yeah i do agree that they you feel that there is that sort of minimum idea of return where it's like well hey if this many people buy it then like you know we'll, we'll put it out there so that is a good point there's a yang to the yang for sure um and uh, moving on to the project that you're currently working on with the uh, the Stoner podcast, which you know, Aaron, I'm not going to lie, uh, I hit you up maybe like earlier in the day before you put out a tweet that you would do an interview on any podcast uh, that anybody could possibly create. So I was like, oh man, like ho- hopefully mine wasn't the uh, the one that put you over the limit where you're just like, hey, no, I'm no, I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it was kind of like, um, but it did. I, you did. I had like talked to two people that day about doing shows, and I was like man i was like i wonder if anyone else would have me on their show and it's like i got no responses <laughs> <laughs> well uh, see i they, I, you, they usually come around though I, I i usually do like a few a few things every i do like one or two every year i'd say uh but yes uh i i do i actually really like being on other shows it's like very relaxing right well, yeah, you feel like you don't have to, uh, you know, steer the ship and be like, oh, man, I'm just I'm just totally butchering this interview. <laughs> and I'm kind of just like I like I'll probably like like if this comes out really good, I'll feel good. But I will like I'm not a, I, I'm assuming that all the people that like 
listen to my show probably won't hear it, you know? So I have a very, like, relaxed attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's the whole premise of podcast is, like, each people, each people, each person appears on other shows in order to be like, oh, yeah, well, that guy sounds cool. Like, I'll, I'll maybe check out yeah. his project or what he's doing. Um which I so stoner like I'll, I'll fully admit yeah. that this show is not for me because I uh, even though I'm a 36 year old uh, person I uh, I'm straight edge I've never you know drank smoked weed or anything like that but I, I've <laughs> the the interest that I personally have had in regards to uh, the effects of you know music creation and creativity in regards to weed has always been something that I've been like, that's cool. Like basically once I started to listen to neurosis, I was like, Oh, I get it. Like that's what weed does to you. Like if you're a really good yeah. musician, um, yeah, like that band sleep. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's so many, uh, so many bands of that nature. Yeah. I mean, so for, for people who, who might uh, be curious about the show, it's basically interviews with creative, interesting people who, smoke weed um about their experience with weed and you know in some ways i don't even think like a positive experience is like inherently necessary uh in the concept but mostly it's people who like smoke weed like it maybe it has something to do with their creative life or they feel like it you know fits into some way um that they do what they do having on everyone from um we had uh, Amina to um, So, who hosts a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend. Uh, last week, we had Nick Denton, formerly of Gawker. Uh, I had my friend Justin Wallette, who like quit this tech career in New York to move back to Portland and start this like super state-of-the-art weed testing lab. So it's a real like variety of people. Um, and I, you know, as someone who's straight edge, I I think the it's not so different in, in my concept of it in the sense of I feel like it's um, a sort of a way to build community around uh, a theme that like brings up lots of interesting questions for people right right no that makes sense I mean because there is like and to be clear the uh, when I when I say straight edge I'm definitely one of the um, non-judgmental I'll beat you up if you drink a beer persons because <laughs> you know I, I realize that that uh, that term is uh, sometimes charged for certain people who are just like oh yeah so you're one of those total jerks who like you know is the guy that goes around a party and knocks beers out of people's hands or something um, but that's why I find yeah I- there's so many like weird like like punky subcultures in California where I was growing up that like, I don't know people are like uh, you know like I'm like a sharp anti-racist it's like all right whatever man like cool <laughs> <laughs> totally right on yeah exactly I'm also against racism <laughs> right and yeah. I I didn't have to call myself that or wear the suspenders or shave my head <laughs> yeah. I mean, but do you like, do you, do you, in, in the way that you're straight edge, do you like, are there like, is there like a, like a zine you read or like a blog or something? Or like, do you have any sort of connection to that as a community? That, that's a, honestly, that's a very good question. I mean, I don't, a simple answer is no. Like there's, you know, I'm not reading like straight edge forums because realistically, you know, if I'm comparing, you know, what you are doing with, you know, Stoner as far as like uh, fostering a community, like, you know, Straight Edge is just one of those things where you're like, yeah, we don't do this. So there's right. not there's not really further discussion that needs to be had. Like, you know, people aren't doing hot takes on Straight Edge anymore because, you know, <laughs> what, I mean, especially it's like once the violence kind of ebbed and flowed in the mid 90s where, you know, that was a real big thing on like, you know, current affair, yeah. <laughs> all of that, all of that happening. Whereas, you know, clearly there's 
much to be said about uh, you know weed in across the country across the world and everyone is doing their own uh, unique take on that like what that means not only to their community but the the community at, at whole so i think that's why i don't read uh, read straight edge websites <laughs> yeah it seems like that'd be kind of repetitive <laughs> totally it's like hey let's interview this uh this vegan straight edge band from the netherlands like yeah. oh uh, yeah cool i guess not really i you probably are saying the same things that everyone else was saying 20 years before you <laughs> yeah but d- yeah well I, I, that's kind of what i was curious about was whether like that scene was like a music scene also that you sort of, that like linked people together in any like way like that. I mean, I, I have like often with the stuff I'm like, I kind of know how it works when you're like 18 or 19. And then it's like, I just don't, I don't really know. Like, I don't know like where those scenes all go. And, and well, it's, I mean, to be honest, like most people that are adults don't need to call themselves that because I, you know, the, most of the questions that I get in regards to if anybody offers me a drink, um, you know, first of all, I punch them in the face and trip them. And then I go, <laughs> just kidding. But usually if someone asks me for a drink and then I'm like, uh, you know, I, I don't drink, they immediately assume that I'm a recovering alcoholic like that right and i'm not like i'm really not exaggerating it's like the pendulum swings from one end to the complete opposite and then you know i don't have the time to walk them through what a straight edge philosophy is where it's like okay it started off with ian mckay put an x on his like right. <laughs> you know um yeah but i do i do i mean straight edge is definitely a youth movement that exists from a, a labeling perspective in order to you know distance themselves from things that they don't enjoy so there really isn't a lot of space for you know older people to like you know grow into an elder statesman you know so that's it's an interesting question though yeah i don't i don't really drink very much either and i uh i hear you i uh i think for me like enjoying weed has been also about not really like identifying with like drinking culture particularly closely like i have very little like natural urge to like go hang out at a bar honestly that's very i I had never really thought about it from that perspective, but it definitely, you know, it, there is a much, there, there's a lot of similarities between the idea of, you know, looking at your stereotypical, you know, whatever jock mentality of like, oh, let's go get smashed and, you know, go to the bar and like, you know, bank chicks or whatever it is that, you know, people yeah. describe in that experience where it's like, I see where like you're saying, you know, drinking socially, like, eh, it's not really my bag, but like I could totally, you know, hang out with a friend and smoke weed and, you know, talk like that's much more comfortable yeah i mean that's definitely like my vibe or it's my vibe now i mean like you know for full disclosure i feel like it's like i feel like i've lived all these lives like i like i totally knew like totally like jockey dudes like you know drinking like 40s in high school like i feel like i like actually am always been like i have a kind of like a anthropological like attraction to like all scenes and in subcultures like Every time, all the time I've spent with like crazy jocks, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, would want this to be a whole my whole life, but like, this is a pretty fun, pretty fun way to live. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, totally. It's cool. I, I I like that attitude that you can you can there are elements that you can identify with every you know subculture. I played uh, college rugby, so I would like travel around like playing rugby like for part of the year for like when I was in college, and yeah, that was some pretty pretty crazy times. <laughs> but you found a kinship with your your fellow teammates oh yeah i mean a lot of like i mean look this is like fucking division three rugby so it's not exactly like that hardcore or anything like it's mostly just like people who go to that college who like 
wish to play rugby. There's not really anyone being like turned away from the team. Uh, but you know, it's, it's always a trip. Cause you're like, you're going to see like different, you know, you're playing like mass state schools. It's like a whole, whole different world, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that there you can meet some like real fucking bros, you oh. know, some like hardcore bros. <laughs> right. The, the competitiveness, uh, cannot be contained in any capacity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, I totally understand why people, you know, have a, objections to stereotypes of all kinds but i i guess in my own human experience i've kind of like had had fairly interesting times with like a a wide variety of types of people well and i think too because of that it um at least i've noticed people because uh, I, I would def- i feel uh, a kinship with you in describing that because i've you know been comfortable in interacting with people who you know i may have no common connections with but we still are able to find something i think when you do that yeah, and this is going to sound pretty cliche, but it's like you find empathy in places that, you know, you might not have found if you didn't interact with a person like that. Absolutely. I mean, not to say that I'm like comfortable interacting with everyone. I have like <laughs> anxiety with everyone else and I like mostly just stay home all the time so I don't have to uh, interact with people. But theoretically, I do enjoy it. Right. You're, on on paper, that sounds cool. Like, of course, there, you know, is a yeah. t- 10% of the population where it's like, yeah, I don't really entirely need that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a lot, last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, you know, like you said, you, you like to work on a, a project by project basis and, you know, stoner is your newest thing and, you know, long form still continues to, um, you know, put out good content and well, actually I hate to use that word content because that makes it sound so disposable. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, so like, what, what are you, uh, what are you looking forward to in regards to, uh, the next steps? Is it basically, you're just putting all your focus on, uh, those, those two, uh, functions right now? Um, I think, you know, long form is just going to keep doing what it does. And like, we kind of have the a routine and try and do it well and try and have interesting people on the show and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, I'm pretty excited to build Stoner up. I think we're going to have some like pretty cool guests over the next year. And I think there's, I, I have a feeling of potential about it. Like I have a feeling it could achieve something that, that, uh, people would be pretty into. Um, and then I want to do like, another francis and lights record of things i'm most looking forward to that's awesome yeah usually i don't i don't button this up or button up most of my interviews up like this like what are you looking forward to the future because that sounds so hacky <laughs> but just because you you do have a wide bevy of projects i just thought uh yeah it would it would be interesting to hear your response so there you go <laughs> there. Um, well aaron thank you so much for your time i honestly really appreciate this this was uh, definitely different than uh many of my other episodes but in a very good way all right right on man well i hope it comes out good all right. Yo, yo, yo. Just, all of a sudden, you're thinking like you're listening to the intro again, but uh, no, I was just me playing a joke. But what isn't a joke is that conversation, right? Yeah, good segue. Aaron, um, yeah, I really appreciate it, you coming on the show, so thank you very much. And uh, yeah, like I said, go listen to his podcast. If you're interested in weed culture, you absolutely will love Stoner. Or if you are interested at all in any way, shape, or form, journalism and self-expression you have to listen to long form podcast it's awesome it's been going on for quite some time so there is a huge back catalog that you can dive into with really really insightful discussions with incredibly smart people so yeah right there we go what's happening now in the show next week right that's what you're asking yourself that's why you're listening to this outro brian garris the vocalist for hardcore band knocked loose is on the show and um i was really excited to have this conversation because knocked loose is you know, a very, very popular band now. And I always find it interesting when a band becomes popular, 
And then you see this inevitable backlash of pe- of certain people of certain scenes being like, oh, man, screw this band. This band's not a real deal and blah, blah, blah. Because I just always don't, I typically don't buy into that. I usually try to, uh, you know, give bands the benefit of the doubt. And uh, I found out that, you know, this this band is the, the real deal. And they are not only young hardcore kids trying to, you know, make a difference. But uh, they're also, they, they come from a long lineage of paying attention to the bands that existed before them. So Brian's conversation is quite good, and I am very excited to share that with you. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what's happening, right? And, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to tell you, right? No, that's not all I'm going to tell you. Lowercase Noises, right? They have their new record that is out in like two days. You should check it out. Go to lowercasenoises.com and you'll be able to uh, survey all of the ordering packages. And trust me, you're going to want to order this record because it's going to be a beautiful escape from whatever uh, hellscape we're existing in in regards to the political landscape, right? (laughs) Everyone needs a break. So this record can provide you the perfect break. And he supplies all the music for the show. And um, yeah, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Always love to dialogue with people who are finding something interesting about it. So that's that. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.